is Jesus? What do you make of Jesus? Probably need to ask that question. Everybody does, and the whole world ever really needs to ask that question, be able to know what it means. Who do you believe that Jesus is? Do you embrace Jesus of the Gospels, of the whole Bible? Do you trust in that Jesus? Do you have a love for Him? Do you have a a yearning for Him? Do you have a passion for this Jesus? Do you worship this Jesus? Do you exult in Jesus? Do you exalt this Jesus? Do you treasure this Jesus in your heart? Do you ponder these things about who He is? He's the crux of everything, isn't He? He is our lives. He is everything. So the question, who is Jesus, is probably the most important question that anybody could ask. And it's the most important question to be able to answer, isn't it? This whole chapter that uh, we are in in Luke 2 is about answering that question for Jews and Greeks, males and females, slave and free. This passage is about answering the question of who is Jesus Christ. Luke gives a complete, detailed uh, account all throughout this Gospel. We uh, looked at that from the very first verse, from the very outset. He has gathered up facts, information, from key eyewitnesses, gave nothing but truth. They had true testimonies to be written. And somehow God took those particular ones, inspired Luke to write these down, and this is inspired from our holy God, right from the Holy Spirit. And we know that Luke starts his account before Jesus was even born. And then he gives an account of Jesus birth at the time of His birth and how that went. And uh, we see details about that. Uh, We see shortly after His birth details. Um, And with that birth, we have redemption. We have one who initiated the Savior of all of mankind. The Lord, the King, has arrived. So Luke here is consistent historically. We can be sure of it. He is consistent all the way through. And of course the Jewish readers would be looking at some of those things that he's talking about. And some of them would be trying to weigh to see if these things are really true. If these eyewitness accounts are true. Uh, We know the law says there has to be at least two or three witnesses. And that's what we're going to see today in uh, Luke 2 and the section that we're dealing with, 21 through 40. Uh, Jesus is identified by uh, this account, three witnesses. It is amazing to look at how accurate each one is. And of course, we looked at the shepherds last week, and uh, they came in to uh, Bethlehem saw the manger, saw Jesus there as we're told, and we were left off with that as they went praising God. And uh, then we will uh, see today that you have Joseph and Mary as one account there being witnesses. You'll also see the old man Simeon who is a witness, and then Anna. And they're really incredible witnesses. And what they do is highly unusual. We will uh, we'll take a look at that. So Luke looks at eyewitnesses. He corroborates the whole identity of the child through these faithful testimonies of all the people. And it is to be believed. And what we have to do is establish, though, if they can be believed, they have to be established in their credibility. How are these witnesses? They say one thing, it sounds right, but how are they credible? If they're not credible, then the witness is no good either, right? And uh, we will recognize that all of these people are righteous people. They're people justified by God. They're righteous in the way that they live. And so that counts so importantly here. Uh, The testimonies can't be erased because their lives lined up with what they believed, what they said. And uh, there's a quite a story going about that Mary was a virgin. She gave a virgin birth. How are you going to be able to build a case on this? Well, 
Luke brings all of these testimonies together. She, as a virgin, brought a child into the world who is the Messiah, the Anointed, the Lord, the King, the Son of the Most High God, as Luke says so often. This is it. So this is what we're going to be looking at, those uh, witnesses and identify Jesus. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's take pleasure in reading this Scripture and see this One who is our Savior. And as we get this developed all through the book of Luke, we should have even a better love for Jesus Christ than ever before. And as we see Him at His very early age, we see how God was working His plan right there. So let's take our Bibles, let's stand and let's read this section. Starting at Luke 2.21, And when eight days had passed before His circumcision, His name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came with the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment she came up, began giving thanks to God, continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow, become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Lord, have your grace of God come upon us in a very powerful way as we understand the depths of this precious truth, the truth that we've all heard But Lord, make it stand out in our minds today who this Jesus is. Jesus' name, Amen. According to the law of the Lord, according to the Word of God, right? According to the law. That is what you saw repeatedly throughout this section. And we saw the witnesses, Joseph and Mary, Simeon, Anna. So we're taking this all in one lump sum. We could have divided all these up, but I think Luke has this story going, so we'll we'll take it in one big chunk here. Uh, There's a lot of history, a lot of Old Testament that's involved here because they're doing what the Old Testament tells them to do, and it's right to do. So it starts off, and when eight days had passed before His circumcision. (coughs) This is the circumcision. Jesus had been born. The shepherds had arrived at the manger. They were doing just exactly what the angels had told them. They hurried there and they saw Jesus there. They rejoiced. They praised God. I guess. (laughs) 
This is what they've all been waiting for. These were the shepherds. These were the lowly people. Yeah, that's how God does it. Not many mighty, not many noble. It's people like us. Not kings, queens, generals, priests. comes to the shepherds. And now it's eight days. So about a week or so now has gone by. After the shepherds were there and the birth has happened and it's time for circumcision. It's on, on the eighth day. Uh, this is according to the law. And so Jesus fulfilled the law all the way through His life, didn't He? And He even fulfills it as a baby. Of course, all Jews did. But this is part of it. If He doesn't do this, I mean, He's God, you say, well, why does He have to do this? Well, there are a lot of reasons. There's health reasons for number one, especially at that time, but uh, cleanliness, but it's much more than that. We'll get into that, but it's, it's dealing with, with the covenant that God had made. And Jesus fulfills the law down to every little jot and tittle, doesn't He? To every degree. The parents are righteous and they're obedient to the law. They're not pagan kind of people. They go and take Him to the temple in Jerusalem. Now they've been in Bethlehem. It's about six miles away. It's like going out to Wardsville or St. Martin's or something like that. You know, it's not a really long trip for them even, even if they're walking. It's not too bad at all. That was a normal walk for people. And if you have Fitbits, that's about what they would suggest you to, to walk for a day. 10,000 steps, 12,000 steps, something like that. <laughs> Bringing it up into time that we live in now. The righteousness of Joseph and Mary is clear. It's already been made clear of that. It's important to establish that though because you have witnesses. You've got to look at their life, right? Okay, are they really telling the story about this? You know, I mean, is this really true? You know, this, this virgin birth. But you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and we'll, we'll take a look at Joseph just for a moment. Not very much, but just enough to uh, refresh ourselves. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. That's what he's really doing. He was a righteous man and he wanted to do what was right, but he didn't want to embarrass her in a way and destroy her. Uh, but it, it points out that he's righteous. Mary, we know, is one who is righteous in Luke. Earlier we saw that she wrote a praise to God. And uh, we see all throughout that Magnificat that she is righteous uh, in 146. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the humble state of His bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. You look all the way through this Magnificat, and you see the righteousness of Mary. Of course, the righteousness is really going to be from Christ ultimately, right? Because that's where all the righteousness comes from. Anybody who has any righteousness at all, it's not theirs. It's the righteousness of Christ. Five times in this passage, in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, verse 23, verse 22, you get the law of Moses is to be completed. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. According to that. Uh, verse 27, and He came in the Spirit in the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for Him the custom of the law. This is the purification there. And then you, um, you have one more, verse 39. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. That's what it's about, isn't it? Doing what the law or the Word of God says. It's called obedience. They just did what God had planned out. And it's a beautiful thing as God brings these things forth. What's the agenda here of Luke? The law of the Lord as He points out here. It's essential for Jesus to be, in this way, circumcised, and then this purification that 
Mary does with the sacrifice that is carried about. The obedience of the law of Moses. Jesus did it. Joseph and Mary did it. By the way, you call this, let's get into a little bit of theology here, active obedience. When you hear of those two words together, it's speaking about the life of Christ in His works. Active obedience. He obeyed uh, the Father always, right? So that's His active obedience. His righteousness. It's because of His life that we're saved And we don't forget about the death. Obviously, we know about that. But His life brings His righteousness to us. When He qualified it at the cross, then it's transferred to us who believe. And we get His righteousness, and our sin is taken off of us. It was put on Him at the cross. So what happened to the sin? It was crucified at the cross. So that's why we say, washed in the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? But here, it's the life, the active obedience. The cross is called the passive obedience. So we get a little bit of systematic theology there. But that's simple, isn't it? Passively is where, of course, he's the one that was part of this. If he wanted to keep it from happening, he could have. But he was passive in the sense that he went through the arrest, the beatings, the pummeling, and that whole crucifixion. And that was a passive obedience. So, he must do these things. The sacrificial lamb. The lamb who let them crucify him. And of course, that's where we're getting at here too. We're getting at sacrifice. It's always pointing to sacrifice. Uh, The next thing we're going to look at, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. That's a sweet name, isn't it? Don't ever forget how sweet that is. The name of Jesus. We sang that song, Your Name, didn't we? Uh, you remember that hymn? Um, it's dealing with sweet Jesus. It's, t- it's talking about His name. What is it? Sweetest name. I know. The name Jesus. Uh, formerly it's called Jesus here. Uh, what's so significant about that? You know, we just take it for granted. Jesus uh, means Savior. Uh, whenever He's Savior, that means He has to save people. When He has to save people, He has to save them from what? Sin. It speaks of God's mercy. It speaks of God's grace. speaks of God's love. speaks of God's salvation because Jesus really means... God is Savior. And, you know, they could have used other names because Jesus has a lot of names. He's called the Prince of Peace, right? He, his name is Righteousness. Tzidkenu. Jehovah Tzidkenu. God is our righteousness. Could have been called that. He could be called Mighty God. He could be called Wonderful Counselor. Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father. He could be called priest. He could be called king. He could be called prophet. He go on and on. You ever looked at all the names of Jesus? Of course, in Philippians 2, it says He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Only God can save sinners. God saves. Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means, literally. Now we get into that circumcision. When eight, things, eight days had passed before his circumcision, circumcision, it's a public testimony to all in Israel that according to the flesh, that one is a Jew. Um, by the way, it says in Galatians 4 4, it's one that's always good to refer to. When the fullness of time came, which was at this time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, not just, boom, just coming down out of heavens and boom, He's here and He's 33 years old, right? Born under the law. Just the way that it was to be done. All the the circumcision to that. So that He might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Ooh. That's great doctrine, isn't it? That's why He came here. 
So it, it all starts, though, being under the law. It was necessary for him to be circumcised. To be a teacher in Israel, he would have to have been circumcised. To be a, call a Jew, you have to be circumcised. Look in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 9, and this is the covenant that God made with Abram. And it's a significant covenant. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. If you look in Genesis 17, verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep My covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. You keep the covenant. This is My covenant which you shall keep between Me, you, and your descendants. After you. All of them. From here on out, every male among you shall be circumcised. That was the law. They all should be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. There's the sign of the covenant. What's circumcision? It's a sign that God has made a covenant with Abraham. It's about salvation. It's really about pointing to Christ. He's the one who fulfills this. This is a great promise. And so, we look at 12, and every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or is brought with money, bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. So even the servants could be taken into that. But we see here, this is what they've been doing. It's supposed to be the eighth day. That's exactly what we see here. Eight days comes right out of the Old Testament, comes out of where it started. We see the Abraham. It continued all the way through um, Jewish history. It's still done today. It's even done by Gentiles today. Um, but the, this, is, this is made between God and the family of Abraham. And the Gentiles were excluded outside of that particular covenant, but eventually they would be brought into the covenant. And of course, that is the fulfillment where the new covenant is. And of course, that takes in Gentiles here. So there is the circumcision as we look in Luke 2. And now we will look... By the way, at the end of verse 21, it says, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. We've already read that in chapter 2. He was to be given the name Jesus. They gave him the name Jesus. Uh, as it conceived in the womb. In verse 22, when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed. Now we go from circumcision to purification. Purification here is according to the Mosaic law. This is one that all women would follow. Uh, the mother of a child was considered to be unclean for those 40 days. In the case of a birth of a son, the mother was banned from performing any religious duties for a period of 41 days. What it comes down to, the 41st day this time had gone through, she would be considered to be unclean. After that time elapsed, it was necessary then for the mother to go to the temple and then offer up a sin offering and a burnt offering for atonement. This is all a picture of what Christ is going to do at the cross 33 years later. It's something they've been practicing for since the time of Abraham for 2,000 years. They've been doing this. And they bring in, or of course the Mosaic Law, 1,500 years I guess. Moses comes in with that law and we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. It's a sacrificial system. A sacrificial system is an illustration of what Jesus would do for His people at the cross. He's a sacrifice. He's a lamb. He takes away the sin of the world by sacrificing Himself. He substituted Himself for us. We should have been on the cross. We should be in hell forever. And that's what this sacrifice is pointing to that cross. It dealt with the death of an innocent substitute. An innocent lamb to be slayed on that altar. Blood just squirting everywhere. Running everywhere. 
Innocent substitute. Jesus was innocent. No sin. And He substituted Himself on the cross for my behalf. For me. For you. Remember the t-shirt? This blood's for you. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2 to 6. This is law. This is Mosaic law. So let's take a look as we're talking about that. We just see something here that just doesn't come out of nowhere. This is something that all the Jewish people would know. They would be examining this, and if Jesus didn't do this, they wouldn't have. The people that did trust him, how would they know that he's really who he's supposed to be? Leviticus 12. Verse 2, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, and the days of her menstruation shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for thirty-three days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing, nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. Then it tells about a female child, and you can read on there, but there we have purification. Purification. It's a it's a time for that she can now come to the temple, and it's also a time to bring sacrifices and then to present the son there at the temple. We look back at Luke 2, the days of their purification according to the law of Moses, we just read that, were completed. They brought Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord or set apart to the Lord. This first one is going to the Lord. Now, actually, um, you remember Hannah and Samuel, and he eventually wound up in the temple. Eli, the priest, there, but he was kind of raised up after that in the temple. That was really giving up the firstborn. Not all did that, but there's a sanctification here of of this firstborn. Uh, this is a, dedica- a dedication of the firstborn. There's a dedication going on. And it's always good, you know. We've had the this kind of practice, you know, down through the years, where uh, a baby would be dedicated, showing that hey, we're going to raise this child in the things of the Lord, in the way that should be raised according to the Word. Right? That's a dedication. Now, in Exodus chapter thirteen. This is uh, about the Passover. It's in that area. So we go back to the time of Egypt. Look at the consecration here of the firstborn. And the, the Passover is connected with... That's, that's where the Passover started in Egypt and, of course, the plagues. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify to me, or make holy, or set apart every firstborn... To the children of Israel. The first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. Firstborn. Firstborn. The firstborn of the Egyptians did not have the Passover, they did not put the blood on the doorposts. The Israelites did. And so, therefore, the angel that would cause death of the firstborn passed over the children of Israel, firstborn. All of them lived. All of the firstborn, regardless of what age, were killed of the Egyptians. That's devastating. We're talking about a holy God. He could eliminate the whole human race if He wanted. But this is the way that He's chosen to do this. This firstborn is really key. The angel passed over the house of the Israelites. They lost none of them. 
Each of the firstborn of Israel are His. They must be ransomed. They must be redeemed. Of course, that's where the Passover lamb came in. And of course, they, on the, after four days of that lamb being in the household, they killed that or that, that blood was shed there. And so we have uh, the ransom price that was made. We look at um, Exodus Leviticus 12.8 again here. Back to the law. It says in verse 8, But if she cannot afford a lamb, if you, if you can't buy a lamb, if you don't have enough money, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she'll be clean. So at this purification, she has to have a sacrifice. She can't afford a lamb. This tells you something about the family of Jesus and Jesus Himself. He was very humbled, wasn't He, in the way that He came to earth, in the way that He was born. And here, as He's coming to the temple, everybody would like to have had a lamb. Not everybody was able to. There's a ransom price to be paid, though. She does the birds. Just the birds, that's all she could afford. That's Luke's way of telling the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became poor for our sake so that we could become rich in Him. So there has to be a redemption. There has to be the ransom. Are you getting doctrine here as you go along through this story? It's doctrine that you know, familiar with. Jesus endured humiliation right from the very get-go, didn't He? Right from the very birth. Here it is, uh, eight days, uh, 40 days, and, and so there we have Jesus and His human experience so that we wouldn't have to endure the humiliation that we deserve. We deserve the worst of humiliation. That's what we deserve. And He took it on. He took everything. So there's part one. I think Joseph and Mary are really good eyewitnesses, don't you? Are they righteous enough? Well, in Christ, absolutely. They did according to the law. It's already been told by the Word that they're righteous. We see that. Are they good witnesses? (sighs) Yeah. They experienced all of this. We go into verse 25 and we go into the testimony of Simeon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. If it didn't say anything else, that'd be good enough. He's righteous, he's devout, looking for this time, he's looking for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit's on him. The, this, uh, he, he's going to give a, a praise. It's kind of like a praise song. We've already seen some in the Gospel of Luke. We saw Zechariah's song, didn't we? About John the Baptist, but it was more than that. It was really about the Messiah. And then we get the Magnificat uh, by Mary. And we get the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. Not a lot of lyrics there, but uh, this angelic choir, whoa, wonder what that sounded like. And then we get this. And then also Simeon will do another one at the very end of uh, of his section there, verse uh, 34, 35, I believe, somewhere around there. So we get the fourth and fifth psalm of of praise, she's getting ready to offer up her child now. The purification happens, and so you go in and and you go to the go to the priest, baby in arms, and of course there's the sacrifice that's getting ready to happen, right? The birds receives the the child back again, 
about to offer up this child and she's interrupted. She's interrupted by this man, an elderly man. And it's like, what's this? We know this story. And he said, well, this is, this is just something. It was probably somebody you know, that knew him or whatever. He, he doesn't know. I mean, he does by the Holy Spirit. But in another sense, how does he know to go to this family? The Holy Spirit says a lot right there. Unusual. There's been angelic announcements. We saw last week about the manger. That's unusual for a baby to be born like that. The deal with the shepherds, that's highly unusual. And now we have Simeon coming up there, taking the baby in his arms and giving this grand blessing. He said, well, he's just an old man and he likes to hold a baby and it gives him a lot of, you know, uh, excitement and, and, you know, it's kind of comforting, you know, the little baby there. And of course, you've, you've seen people, especially older people, how they, oh, look at the baby, you know. It's funny. We don't see the officiating priest here in this story. You see this man that nobody really gets any more information about. This is it, just in this section. It's a pretty good little section from 25 through 35. That's quite a few verses. Not everybody gets that many verses, but uh, you'd like to go back to the Old Testament where you can know that his name came from a tribe, Simeon. So that's, that's pretty good. Uh, by the way, the, this, this psalm is called Nung Demitis. The first couple of words that are mentioned in the psalm. And we've seen, you know, like the Magnificat, that's named after that. Anyway, righteous people, again, are delivering a message. The righteous person here is Simeon now. God picks out the ones who are legitimate, who are really real and true. Um, Simeon means hearing. Hearing. Um, God heard Simeon's prayer. Because if you read through here, of course in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. wonder how long that was. Don't know. Probably a long time. And I think he had been waiting all his life for the Messiah. But the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to die. You're going to see Him literally with His eyes before you leave this earth. <laughs> that is quite incredible. And do you think He believed it? You betcha. So, Simeon, you know, hearing God, here's the prayer. Simeon, I'm sure, prayed every day about the coming of the Messiah. Matter of fact... We pray quite frequently about the second coming of Christ, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't we look to that day? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Rule and reign, right? So we know this man is righteous. God answers his prayers. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. Now, I don't know, consolation sounds kind of interesting in our terminology today because I think of it in terms of a consolation prize. You know, a fourth place. <laughs> I think, you know, back in uh, the days of uh, high school basketball, they would, you know, you, you win a tournament, you get first place. If you lose, you're second place. If you win that last game, but you lost the one before that, then you get third place. Then the team that Lost the last two games. They won the first game. They get a consolation prize. Well, they just lost. <laughs> That's not the idea here. I guess kind of is. It means comforting. Hey, we want to comfort you losers. You guys are alright. You came and you showed up. You want a game. It's okay. But let's go a little bit deeper with this consolation, right? Consolation means comfort. It means help. It means hope. It 
It's dealing with the Messiah. The consolation of Israel is Christ. Christ, this one who is coming. This one is... Uh, by the way, the word is paraklesis. Paraklete. Paraclete. One who comes alongside. He's known as the helper. He's known as the comforter. Of course, the Holy Spirit is known as that, but also the Holy Spirit is telling Simeon that the consolation of Israel is going to be coming. He's devout. He's reverent. He's careful. If Simeon wasn't careless, God wouldn't be using him here. I mean, if he was... He's a man who's righteous. He is one who is going to be doing things the way that God wants him to do. The key is that Simeon's life is righteous. And he also calls him Lord... Would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. If you, that's a that's a, a different Lord uh, in in the language there. If you look in twenty nine now, Lord, as he's saying this, look at what he calls the Lord here, despotes. Ah, oh, you might have gotten a little bit from despot. Sometimes and not very often, but sometimes Jesus is called. Lord as a despot. Now when you hear that, it's usually ill-favorable. One who rules dominantly over people and he doesn't care who gets in his way, he stomps all over him, right? But the Lord here is, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, says to have absolute ownership and uncontrolled power. See, he he saw God as the sovereign Lord. Do you think he believed in sovereign lordship? Yes. He is total proprietor of my soul. I don't run my life. He does. That's what it means to be, hey, he's my Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. That's why a lot of people like to say, well, he's my Savior. Or sometimes later they rededicate their life and say, well, He's my Savior. He's my now my Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. You cannot separate Jesus Christ, as A.W. Tozer had often said, because there's always been a debate of saying, well, if He's Lord, uh, then that means you have to be obedient. If you're obedient, then that means a work salvation. So it's better just to call Him Savior. Um, no, he, he, he's, Lord, he's Lord of our lives. He runs our life. He's the captain, right? I am glad that I don't run my life anymore. I am glad that Jesus Christ does, right? You guys are too. That's a mark of a Christian. They know who is sovereign. By the way, He is a representative of all the Jews who are expecting the Messiah. He's a representative of them as He looked for the coming of the Messiah, but he just knew that he wasn't going to die, he was going to see him. In our day, there are signs that coming all around us. Be ready. I know one thing, that's what the Lord keeps saying, be ready, be watchful, be alert. Be watching. There is nothing, there are no signs, nothing that has to be met yet before Christ comes back for us. He could come back in a flash in a moment. It's been fulfilled in that sense. He can come back. That is an imminent return at any time. Do you live expectantly? See, the whole idea is that we would live righteous lives. We're living expectantly. We want to live holy lives, right? When you have that great hope of Him coming, you will live a righteous life. So, Let's look back at a moment in the Old Testament about the consolation of Israel, if you don't mind. Let's see this word being used in different ways. And I think Simeon knew the Old Testament. He knew the Bible. And I think he's referring to this. Everybody knew this consolation. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 8. Actually, let's start at Isaiah 40. 40 verse 1. 
Look at the first word. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. I want you to put in context the book of Isaiah, 39 chapters. Judgment on Israel. Judgment on the nations. It's deep. It's dark. There are definitely hope passages all throughout there. But it shows how sinful the nations were. And God was going to judge. And He did. And He does. And He will. But in, And that's 39 chapters. Boom. Chapter 40, verse 1. Very first word is consolation or comfort. Or if you put it in the Greek Septuagint, it would be paraklesis. Comfort. Comfort. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. After all of this judgment, and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Who is that? John the Baptist. Can you imagine Simeon? At this time, he's going to say, huh, wonder where he's at. <laughs> he's six months old, you know, but he doesn't know. Make smooth on the desert a highway for our God. He's going to be making the way for Christ. That's why we saw so much about him earlier. Chapter 49, verse 8. Boy, you look at these fulfillments. It gives us great hope too, doesn't it? Because he's already done it. 49.8, Thus says the Lord, that's Yahweh, In a favorable time I have answered you, and at a day of salvation I have, what? Consoled or helped you. My version says helped. Console, consolation. We've seen the word comfort in chapter 40, verse 1. Now we get helped. I will give you the helper. Comfort. Boy, do they need that, don't they? Do we need that? Verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted, consoled, consolationed His people. That's more than a little consolation prize because he says this is worth shouting, rejoicing, joyful shoutings, even the mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. Hey, is this promise to us? Is this something that should just make us shout? This takes all the worry off, doesn't it? Listen, if you read those first 39 chapters this morning, You didn't read chapter 40 and then on through the rest. This is the good news from 40 through 66. By the way, how many chapters are in the Old Testament? It's interesting. 39 chapters. How many are in the New Testament? Books. I'm sorry. Sorry, about three of you there. Thank you. Correct me. 27 books in the New Testament. How many books are there in the Bible? 60. Six. How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? 39 and 27, which is 66. Just interesting. Uh, And I'm not even pressing anything on that, but that's how I remember whenever I divide up Isaiah. Because it's such a long book. Guys, if we ever started on the book of Isaiah and did it the way we normally do, we wouldn't have any other books that we would study. We'd be here till all of us go right on into the our eternal rest. <laughs> That's okay, right? Well, well, the bad news, the good news is there, right? I mean, we could do that. We have done studies on Isaiah, but very quickly, like just a few months. Very quickly. <laughs> Chapters at a time. The consoler, the compassion for Israel, uh, fulfillment of the covenant what this is about. The Holy Spirit was upon Him. Do you like that? Now remember, in Acts chapter 2 is where we see the Holy Spirit who was promised by Christ that the Holy Spirit would be coming. 
But at this time, right at the time of Christ, we see the Holy Spirit mentioned. Well, we've already seen the Holy Spirit mentioned. By the way, He is the author of this book. (laughs) Holy Spirit has already been mentioned, right? Uh, By the way, you remember John the Baptist? And Elizabeth? She's filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is leaping in the womb because of the Holy Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled. Now granted, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament... There was, there would be, whenever somebody had a special role as a king or a priest, they were anointed. Um, there was an anointing of the Holy Spirit as they led. But still, yet people can't live righteous lives unless they have the Holy Spirit. They have to have the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost came in the fullest aspect. Just like the people in the Old Testament, they're saved the same way that we are. But we get to look back and see it in its fullest. The best that they could see Christ was through the sacrifices, the temple, and all the different objects and illustrations that they had. But we have it in its fullest up to now. Not in the absolute fullest because we still wait for that as we will see Him as He is. But now we have much more knowledge with Old and New Testament together. It reveals all the different mysteries that are in the Old Testament, doesn't it? But there was this extra... You know, I believe that anybody who is a believer at that time does have the Holy Spirit, but not in that fullest sense that, that we would have. But here, it's just like there's a filling of the Holy Spirit. There's some kind of something uh, special here. And he was told that he would not see death. He knew that. And so he came in the Spirit into the temple. He's filled with God's Spirit. He's led by God's Spirit. No doubt about it, the Spirit was upon him. To walk by the Spirit means to depend upon Him consciously. Always. To be depending from moment to moment. That's being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You have the Word of God, you're filled with the Word of God, you're filled with the Spirit. So you rely on Him for the, having the right attitude when you're in the midst of trials. It's Him that's going to get you through. He resides in you. Christ had to leave. And he says, but I leave you the Holy Spirit. That was not only for the disciples, but for all of us sitting here today. If you're a believer, you have God living in you. The life of God in us. Are you kidding me? The life of God is in us. And that's the only way that we can live a life that's honoring to God. Do you seek Him for wisdom in difficult situations? He's there. He's sitting alongside you. He's in you. Isn't that comforting? I will send you the Comforter. I will send you the Helper. Have you been encouraged by listening to this? Just remind. We know this. He had a special anointing. He was revealed to by the Holy Spirit. He has a song of praise. Now, Lord, Master, You are releasing Your bondservant to depart in peace. He knows it's going to be time to go. And He's ready to go. You think He wants to hang around? It's time to go. He's already had that promise. That's right. According to your word. <laughs> Again, we keep seeing that, right? For my eyes have seen your salvation. Scott Wesley Brown had a song like, My eyes have seen your salvation. <laughs> it was taken from this. My eyes have seen your salvation. He, he, he was already a believer. It won't come into play until Christ dies on the cross where that application happens, but he's already trusted him. Just like all Old Testament saints. If they live by faith, 
as uh, stated in Hebrews 11. They trust in God. They're saved the same way we are. They were just looking for the cross. We have already seen the cross in spiritual eyes. It's happened. It's all right here through the Word of God. So, now Lord, Your bondservant departs in peace. The picture is of... Here's the, the word picture. You like word pictures. You have a sentinel being relieved of his watch, of his guard duty. He's being relieved of that. Simeon is being relieved to go on to the place where it's been promised. Right? Simeon has watched for Messiah all his life. Can you imagine this moment? Wouldn't you be excited? And so therefore he makes these statements. He was ready to die in peace. You're not ready to die until you've seen Jesus. And that's for everybody ever in the world. If they don't know Jesus, they're not ready to die. But Christians are ready. Because we know what the promise is. And we don't die. The body does. We just keep on living. We live. We don't really die. We live. This is eternal life. It's knowing God. So, here I will just read, Eyes of Senior Salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's quoting here, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, not only to the Jews. Simeon is a Jew, but he's saying this is going to go out all the way out to the lost pagan Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. That's what he says. What a praise. He's spoken of salvation. Salvation for Gentiles as well as Jews. Here's the amazement. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. They've already been amazed eight or forty some odd days ago. At the birth, the shepherds, circumcision they've gone through. But this man comes up to him, and then he says what he just said. He's a righteous man. They, whether they know him or not, probably not. They've got to be excited. It's just another nail that's drilled in there. It's like, wow. They've already been convinced. Mary keeps pondering these things. They're amazed. Joseph's thinking about this. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, here's another praise, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This means that this Jesus is going to have some negative response. Out of all the joy that He brings and this comfort, this help, and He says Israel is going to respond like this. Every man, woman, child will respond to this Jesus and it will either be for their fall or it will be for their rising. What does it mean? Well, he said, John says in 1, chapter 1, He came to His own. And His own received Him not. We know the story. We know the crucifixion. They're saying, crucify Him! Crucify Him! They missed it. Some of those very same ones that are saying crucifying, though, will be found in Acts 2, <clears throat> trusting in Christ. But most of them don't. If you reject this Jesus, He's appointed you for your fall. But you embrace this Jesus, you trust this Jesus, you will rise with Him like the dawn. He's the crux of everything, isn't He? He's everything. 
He is everything. Without Christ, we are nothing. John 15. Simeon understood through the Holy Spirit that this very child in his arms was the Lord's promised Messiah. He's holding him. God gives us glimpses of glory in amazing ways. He's the anointed one. He knew about Isaiah the prophet. He knew about this consolation. He knew about in Isaiah 8.14. A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. And that's quoted in the New Testament also. I think this old man knows too much about the moral condition of the people who lived during that time. He knows about them. It's a dark, sinful time. But he also knows, he gives a prophetic reference here to Mary, to how she would feel when she witnessed the crucifixion. He's pointing to the cross. As he says, a sword will pierce even your own soul. Not her body, but it's piercing to see your son being crucified in the way that he was to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So it shows people's hearts. Do they trust Christ or do they spurn Him? You can't be in between. It's one or the other. And that's what Simeon's saying. Now we close. This is going to go really quick. It's another testimony. It's Anna, another older person. What do you think Joseph and Mary are just thinking? Well, they're already amazed. And now they've been given a, a prophecy. He's going to be rejected. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Simeon was from the tribe of, or you know, was named after that tribe, Simeon. <clears throat> she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after marriage. Oh, seven years. And he died. Seven years. You know what she did then? Well, as a widow, to the age of 84 then, I don't know how old she was when she got married. Remember, they usually got married in their teens, very early teens, mid-teens. You know what? What happened? From that time on out, she lived in the temple. She was there every day. That's where she was always at. She dedicated every part of her life from there on out to serve at the temple. And here's the highlight of her life. She gets mentioned in the Bible. You know, people would have known her. You'd come into the temple if you came there a lot. You'd see her if you came there quite a bit. She was there all the time. This is all she wanted to do. She's a prophetess. That means she spoke God's Word. She does that here. She spoke His Word. She just wants to worship the Lord. It says prayer and fasting. It's what she did night and day. And it wasn't a matter of legalism. It was a matter of just desiring to worship God. She loved the Lord. She had no need for another earthly husband. She just dedicates her whole life here, serving the people of God. I think we see sterling qualities here of her. She's impeccable. She is quite a witness, isn't she? She would have been known around the temple. I think Simeon would have been known if you'd lived around there. Wow. Devotion. Love for the one true God. True worship. The consolation of Jerusalem is here. She's excited. And so we see in verse 38, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God. Just came right up to them. At that moment giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. All the ones who had ears. She spoke the Word of God. Spoke about the Messiah right here. 
she knew Old Testament passages, probably drawing from those. She's being led by the Spirit, no doubt. She's a righteous one. Isn't this awesome that God would use a woman here and there she was at a place of worship? You see how God is? The society spurned women. They put them way down. Way beneath men. And God puts her in this position. At this time, goes up to Joseph and Mary, and Simeon has already done his thing, and there she comes up, and she does this. What do you think the reaction? This is only from God. Look what He's done. He's planted these people here. She came up and gave thanks. I mean, that's the praise of all praise, isn't it? Giving thanks to God. And continued to speak. She just kept speaking and speaking and speaking about the Messiah who was right here. We're about done. Who is Jesus? Well, He fulfilled the law perfectly. Who is Jesus? He's the only Savior. Who is Jesus? Came in poverty on our behalf. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the Jews and Gentiles. We've learned all this as we I'm just touching all the main main points. He's the consolation of his people. Is he the consolation of you guys today? Is he your comfort? Is he your help? Is he your strength? Right? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? Do you love him? Are you like Anna? Giving your whole life to him? Are you like Simeon? Are you like Joseph and Mary? Do you trust Him? Do you treasure Him? He is the treasure, isn't He? Do you exult in Him? Do you exalt Him? That's the issue. That's who Jesus is. Father, thank You for revealing once again this person of Christ and we have just heard great testimonies of these people. The one Messiah came. He was really here. And He still is today. He lives in our hearts. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. And Lord, as we go through everyday life, everyday trials, everyday rejoicing, we just give You thanks for this Word and this truth because it is locked tight in our souls that we have truth that's been given. We are eyewitnesses of what You've done in our lives and what You continue to do every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.